Jesus, thank you that you are here and ask that you use these next few minutes to help us understand your arrival in a new way, in a deeper way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We want to say hello to those of you in the community center, out there in the lobby, those of you online, all of you here, whether you are here willingly or you were dragged here against your will, which sometimes happens, we are glad that you are here. Uh, The night our youngest child was born, there was a heat wave which seemed to have sent every woman on the east side into labor. So we got to the hospital. There were so many people. There were no rooms. Women were giving birth in the hall. So we got put in a room with two other women, so three women, all giving birth in the same room at the same time. Chaos, right? Crying, screaming, hyperventilating. The nurse almost had to ask me to leave. It was terrible. Our doctor was great, though. He's just really cool. He just said, everyone just needs to calm down. Oh, we just need to calm down. Okay, easier said than done, right? Well, later, the the hospital gave us a gift certificate to a restaurant as an apology for not having a room. And I thought, okay, we just had a baby. Do you really think we're going to be able to use this? (laughs) That story shows that every birth involves some level of risk, but one worth taking because we got three awesome kids out of it, plus a gift certificate. Jesus' birth that first Christmas was very risky. Every birth is a risk, but Jesus was very risky. Think of Mary, bravest person in the Bible, 14, 15 years old, miraculously conceives before she gets married. So she is poor, unwed, teenage mom who gives birth to her son in a barn. Huge risk, but she took it. Same for the wise men, or the Bible calls them magi. They were astrologers from what is today Iraq. So foreigners, not Jews, Arabs, who would have been viewed with suspicion in Israel. And their journey involves some risks that Christmas invites all of us to take. Because they lead to a deeper, richer, better, more fulfilling life. And the first risk Christmas invites us to take is the risk of change. The Magi saw the star, assumed that meant that a king had been born, traveled 900 miles to Jerusalem, asked Herod, the puppet king installed by the Roman Empire, where the new king was, find out it was in Bethlehem, so they go. But Herod was so afraid that this baby was going to threaten his power that he sought to kill the baby. So the Bible says, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. They do not go back the same way they came. It's a metaphor. Their experience of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, left them different people traveling a different path. Christmas invites us to the risk of change. Maybe that's some behavior that's hurting us or others, or an attitude that's crippling us. But the reward is new life, more joy, a deeper, better life. It's like when we had kids, we knew that some things would have to change. Some habits of ours would have to change, like sleep, right? But we got three kids out of it. The second risk of Christmas is to embrace the security of insecurity. And here's what I mean. We all want security, but paradoxically, often the things we turn to for security end up making us feel less secure, not more. So like, look at Herod, right? Like he's the richest, most powerful man in Israel, but it didn't didn't make him more secure. It made him less secure. He is so fearful that this baby might threaten his power that he orders all the babies in Bethlehem to be killed. Does that sound like a secure person to you? One peasant baby ruins his whole day, right? And off he goes. I shall have to kill everyone now. Very insecure. 
Anything we trust in for security other than Jesus sometimes just leaves us more insecure. If it's money, we'll end up worrying if we have enough. If it's reputation, we'll always worry. What are people thinking about me? The things we turn to for security can end up kind of biting us in the end. I recently saw a video of a guy talking about how he relaxes after a hard day of work, and here's what he said. How do I relax? Well, like many other Americans, uh, I come home and I, I pet my dog. You see, petting the dog is one of the most relaxing things you can possibly do. It releases a hormone called oxytocin, which reduces stress. People who pet their dogs are five times more likely to live longer than people who just have cats. Plus, the dogs like it so much, and it's a nice bonding experience. That's the best part of this sermon. <laughs> that is so often me turning to all of these different things to feel secure, but they're actually just biting me and making me miserable. The Magi seem to be in an insecure position, foreigners being threatened by a tyrant king, and yet they are more secure than that king. They've embraced the security of insecurity, willing to take a risk, take a journey, to be part of God's story, to be part of God's plan. Because see, Jesus doesn't call us to escape the world and be safe. He calls us to partner with him to heal the world. Which is why throughout centuries, Christians established hospitals and universities and fought against slavery and fought for civil rights. Now, not all Christians did that, but Jesus said they should. Jesus says that's what we're about. The Magi themselves show that Jesus welcomes foreigners into his community. And when we are part of Jesus' healing of the world, it actually gives us greater security. Like a businessman I know who helps prisoners get their GEDs in order that they can have a future other than crime. And, and he says it's, it's the most fulfilling thing he's ever done. He gets these great friendships with the prisoners, part, gets to be part of their lives, changing for the better. He embraced the security of insecurity, gave up some time and some comfort, and found a deeper security and a deeper joy. Jesus wasn't crucified because he was boring. Quite the opposite. He was crucified because he was too dynamic to be safe, and he makes us that way too. The risk of change, the security of insecurity, and finally, Christmas invites us to the risk of rescue, renewal, and restoration. You know, the Christmas story is a very dark, kind of brutal story. Right? We, we don't think of it that way. We picture Christmas looking like this, right? Okay, I love that, right? Like the light shining down on Mary, right? And Jesus and Mary are blonde, you know, just like all Middle Eastern people are, right? And that light, you know, like, oh, right? Okay, you give birth in a stable, you do not look like that, right? No, 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 no. Christmas, Christmas is more like this, a little dark, a poor teenager giving birth in an alley, right? And then they have to flee to Egypt as refugees to escape Herod, who's killing all the babies, it's the part of the Christmas story we never talk about, right? When was the last time you saw that on a Christmas card? Oh, look, the slaughter of the innocents. All right, let's give it to Aunt Bessie. She'll love it. Season's greetings. Christmas is brutal, violent, difficult, risk everywhere, anything but safe. But Jesus stepped into that mess, God in the flesh, invading earth so that earth can become a little bit more like heaven. 
to die on a cross, to pay the price for our sins that deep down we know needs to be paid. But he pays it so justice is served, but mercy wins. And then he's raised from the dead. He comes so that poverty and racism and division can be eradicated and so that the messy, painful places in our lives can be healed. That barn that Jesus was born in is now something we think of as holy. We, we sing about it because when Jesus steps into a messy place like a barn or certain parts of our lives, he, he makes them new. He transforms them. If you go to this church, you know that my father died last month in November. But, but prior to that, this summer, after he'd had a couple of strokes, it was clear that he and my mother, who has Alzheimer's, could no longer live in their house in eastern Washington, in Richland. So we found a place for them that they, that they, that they liked. And this summer, my siblings and I had an estate sale to get rid of all the stuff so we could sell the house. And there was tons of stuff. Well, the day before the estate sale, I got an email from a family that goes to my parents' church over there in Richland and offering to buy their house. But their offer was well below the market value of my parents' house. Well, an hour later, I got an email from another man in my parents' church who told me that family's story. And it turns out that through a series of just bad luck, tragic things, the family had actually lost their previous home and had ended up homeless, a family of four living out of their car. But through hard work, they'd kind of clawed their way back and they were ready to buy a house again. But because of the foreclosure that was on their record, they could only get a loan that was well below the market value of my parents' home. So my siblings and I, we talked it over for, gosh, I bet we talked it over for a whole three minutes before my brother said, God is all over this. And my sister and I agreed. Well, after the first day of the estate sale, we were in despair because it didn't make a dent in all the stuff in their house. I mean, there was stuff everywhere still. So we knew that every spare minute this summer would be spent driving to Richland to get rid of all this stuff. There went our whole summer, right? Well, that evening, the family came over to the house so that we could talk to them about selling the house. And I was looking around at all the stuff, and I said to them, you know, in your email, you said that you would buy the house as is. (laughs) Define as is. Like as is right now and all this crap, I mean, treasured memories become yours. And they said, we can't give you more money, but we have friends, and we can take care of this for you. And we were like, done, deal, sold. And then we told them the real reason that we wanted them to have the house. The real reason we told them was because, see, our dad grew up in extreme poverty and went through periods of homelessness when he was a kid. And he never wanted to sell that, uh, this house because it was the only home that he'd ever had. But we told this family, we knew if my dad could make this decision, he absolutely would sell it to this family. And so we did. So see what God has done. My dad, who grew up homeless, at the end of his life, helps a family get out of homelessness. And for my siblings and me, it was so clearly Jesus stepping into a messy place, a painful place of our parents' failing health, a difficult place, stepping in and redeeming and restoring and renewing and rescuing. And in fact, the day my dad died last month, when I left the hospital, I thought, you know, I don't want this family to hear that my dad died through the grapevine. They deserve to be told personally. So I drove to the house, rang the doorbell of the house that I've just been walking into for the last 49 years. And that was weird, right? And they answered, and I was standing on the porch, and I said, you know, dad died today. And the wife said, you get in here. You get in here right now. And they both hugged me, and, you know, not like a Presbyterian hug, but like a real, you know, <laughs> we love you hug, real thing, right? 
And she said, get in here, sit down, tell us about your dad. So I told them stories and they said, tell us stories about this house. What was it like growing up in this house? And tell us about Christmases, birthdays, what are funny stories? And so I told them about the time my brother and I tried to turn the shower stall into a swimming pool and flooded the whole basement. Mm-hmm. And I looked at their kids and I said, don't do that. Right? And then I got to ask their kids, hey, which one of you got my bedroom? Right? All of this about an hour and a half after I'd just seen my dad die. And I realized I was not there to tell them personally. I was there for me because I was devastated. And the one place I really needed to be in that moment was home. And I got to go home one more time and be loved. We didn't sell that house below market value to help them. We did it to help us. We just didn't know it at the time. Who rescued who? We kind of rescued each other. In fact, the Sunday I was preaching, the first Sunday I was preaching here after my dad died, this family drove all the way from Richland, three hours from Richland, just to hear me preach to support me. Jesus stepped into something painful to rescue, renew, restore. And my dad, who began his life in homelessness, ended it getting a family out of the hell that he grew up in. It was a risk. The family had to risk asking, knowing that they were going to be low, low bidder. We had to risk selling below market, lose some money that we may need in the future for my mom, but we're going to trust God for that. And the result was hope and joy and new life. So what risk might God be asking you to take this Christmas? To heal a relationship or change something or maybe discover just more, to, more of who Jesus is. It will be a risk, but it will lead to new life and new joy. You know, the person who had the most to risk that first Christmas was God. He had to leave the comforts of heaven to be born poor, cold, miserable, live as a refugee in Egypt, return, be, eventually be crucified on a cross. And the risk is he did all of that and we're still free to ignore him and walk away from him. No other God in any other religion risks anything at all, but the God who comes in Jesus risked everything to get to you and to get to me. That is some crazy kind of love. He left the comforts of heaven to pursue us when we run away from him. We are sought after people. You are a sought after person. And there is a light that overcomes darkness, a joy that is stronger than despair, redemption bigger than our failures, courage that overcomes fear, a love so powerful it outlasts governments, overcomes oppression, and outruns prodigals. He came for you and he came for me to rescue, renew, restore and to set us and this whole world free. So Jesus, thank you for your great, amazing love that knows no bounds, no limits. And Lord, thank you for coming to make us whole and to restore this world to what you always intended it to be this Christmas. Help that to sink in, God. Help it to sink in deep. We give you all our thanks and our praise for your great love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.